You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Mike Florio, popular co-host of Pro Football Talk Live, profootballtalk.com. Must read every single day. Keeps you up on all the things. Rumors, innuendo, and of course, real news. Mike joins us now. Mike, I want to start with uh, a couple of topics that you have uh, written about. One is expansion. That What's going on in St. Louis with this lawsuit, with the city against Stan Kroenke taking the Rams to Los Angeles and that it could lead to expansion? Explain to me, time frame, the probability that uh, that could happen. Well, and here's what we have to keep in mind. First of all, the lawsuit filed by various entities in St. Louis against the NFL isn't going well for the NFL. And Stan Kroenke, who agreed, in theory, to be responsible for all of the costs and expenses and potential settlement or judgment, he's found some language that would maybe allow him to back away from that full responsibility so the league could be on the hook for it. So if those planets line up in a way that results in number one, a huge verdict against the league. Number two, Stan Kroenke's not individually responsible for it. That's when this idea of maybe dangling an expansion team to settle the case comes into play. And this is something that was raised with me. I wasn't even looking for anything about it. I wasn't asking about it. It was just kind of mentioned as a possibility. This is a way that Roger Goodell could solve the problem of St. Louis by offering an expansion team. Now it would have to be negotiated. Who would be the owner? What would be the expansion fee? Where would they play? But Dan, this all comes down to legalized gambling. The NFL is gonna crave more inventory, more things on which people can bet, especially once the technology is in place to remove any and all lag from what's happening at the game site to what's happening on this. So you can make a bet in the 40 seconds between the end of one play and the end of the next with nobody being behind what's actually happening at the game. The money will explode. And they can only get to 18 games if they can even get to 18 games. After that, the only way you increase inventory is to increase teams. So I think it's coming. And the quarterback play has improved to the point where you could justify more than 32 teams. So it would be St. Louis and somebody else. And they bumped to 34. And is it crazy to think it would happen within 10 years? I don't think it's crazy to think it could happen within 10 years. Okay, St. Louis obviously would be in play. Give me the other city. Well, if the NFL keeps going, you've got two teams that would be potentially in London, whether it's the Jaguars and an expansion team. Sorry, Jacksonville, but your owner has eyes on London. And if they're going to put two teams there, he's probably going to want to be one of them. Chicago, they get that new stadium that they're talking about at Arlington Heights, bells and whistles, third largest market in the league. And, you know, if you're going to build one of these stadiums, the more games you play in it, the more quickly you make your money back. So I, I've been talking for a long time about the possibility of a second team in Chicago. The other dynamic too, Dan, because I think 40 is where they're going to end up at some point, not anytime soon, but eventually they're going to get to 40. There's talk at the highest levels of the league about the wisdom of building smaller stadiums because for that upper deck general admission, they don't make a whole lot of money off of that. And sometimes it's more trouble than it's worth. Smaller stadium means you can put teams in markets that we otherwise aren't thinking about because it doesn't matter where the games are played. What matters is the games are being played and anywhere you're sitting on a couch or in a bar or wherever you can bet on what's happening in those games. It doesn't matter what city it is. We wouldn't have thought of Jacksonville as an NFL city, frankly, and I'm sorry to pile on Jacksonville, but it's like the number 44 TV market and it's got a team. So 
it, it would not be hard, especially if they buy into this idea of building smaller, cheaper stadiums just so they have places where they can headquarter a team. But are we talking San Antonio? Are we talking Portland, well, Oklahoma City? I don't I, – Oklahoma City, I think, would fit. I don't know about San Antonio because it's halfway between Houston and Dallas, and I think those two teams would say, hey, don't put another team in our backyard. We want to draw those fans to our gigantic stadiums. We don't want them following a team of their own. But I think Oklahoma City makes sense. San Diego could make sense if mm. you could find a way to pay for the stadium. Oakland would make sense. But, again, in California, you got to be willing to pay for the stadium. But the smaller the stadium – and, and the, it's just the, the money that is going to be at play as a result of gambling is staggering. I don't think we've fully gotten our arms around what it's going to mean to the NFL. But by the end of this decade, they're going to be making an extra billion a year from the early stage gambling relationships that they're able to conjure. It's only going to get bigger and bigger when the in-game betting is happening coast to coast or maybe even worldwide where people can lock in a buck here, a buck there in the 40 seconds between the end of one play and the start of the next one. He's Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk Live co-host with Chris Sims. That show uh, precedes ours. Uh, Mac Jones week. Uh, not official, but it's been Mac Jones. Let's uh, slobber all over Mac Jones here. And now you go into Atlanta tonight. Um, I don't know if, if he how great he is, good he is, but he is in the right system or situation of all of these rookie quarterbacks. Now, I thought Trey Lance might be, but San Francisco is underachieved and Trey Lance is not ready. But is Mac Jones good or is he good for that system that he's in with that head coach and that offensive coordinator? I like what I've seen from Justin Fields the past couple of games more than anything I've seen from Mac Jones. But Mac Jones fits precisely with what the Patriots are trying to do. And Sims made this point earlier today, the idea that Bill Belichick is trying to recreate 2001 all over again with a young quarterback who operates within the confines of the offense, a defense that is big and strong and fast and versatile so that there's nothing you can do to them that they can't counter. You don't get them in a bad spot like the Rams the other night where, hey, we got all these pass rushers and we got a great cornerback, but you're going to run the ball down our throat. There's nothing we can do to stop you. Belichick can stop you. And also, he's got the three-headed attack at running back, and Mac Jones is doing just enough. And, yeah, Mac Jones isn't a superstar, and he may never be. But would Tom Brady have been a superstar in any system but the one that he was in, at least early in his career? And so, I look, I, I know that there is a strong pro-Mac Jones component out there, and there's an equally strong anti-Mac Jones component. The truth <laughs> is probably somewhere in the middle. But yeah, he he landed in the perfect spot for him, and he was the perfect guy for the Patriots to have on the board at 15. Okay, is he better than a, a fellow Alabama quarterback, Jalen Hurts? Well, Jalen Hurts is really coming on. This Eagles team, you kind of write him off early and you think it's a mess, and the Eagles are going to try to find somebody else. I mean, Hurts has a different skill set. And would Hurts be successful in New England? Probably not. Would Mac Jones be successful in Philadelphia? Probably not. But they're finding a way to get the most out of Hurts, and they're focusing on the fact that they actually have running backs in Philadelphia. There was several weeks early in the season where I think they forgot that they actually employ running backs. But, you know, I, I think Jones is going to have a lot more staying power because of where he is. And you look at where that team is. They're going for their fifth win in a row. They've outscored their opponents 150 to 50 over the last four games. And, and no one's taking them seriously. Isn't that amazing? This is the evil empire of the NFL. Yeah. And, and they, they can't 
stay hidden for much longer because they have the <laughs> Titans next week and the Bills Monday Night Football the week after that. So we're going to find out whether or not the Patriots really are, really are ready to compete with the best teams in the league. Well, people don't want the Patriots back. That's why I think a lot of people either consciously or subconsciously are like, oh, I don't know. Let me see. I think with that extra wild card, I mean, that's why I picked New England to be a playoff team. I, I, I thought that they would run the ball, play good defense, and then you just ask Mac Jones to kind of do what we tell you to do. And it feels like that's their blueprint and has been their blueprint. And all you got to do is get a ticket to the table and you've got Bill Belichick, who knows a thing or two about single elimination football. And also, I think this is one thing that hasn't sunk in for us yet collectively because we haven't seen it play out yet. With the extra game, the extra week, everything gets pushed back. Everything is a week deeper into wintertime. So outdoor games are going to be even more challenging in colder climates than they otherwise would have been. You got a greater chance of getting really bad weather. You got a team that can run the ball and play good defense you're going to be in a position to win those games if you have to go to Buffalo or if you can get home field advantage and they have to come to you. McLovin, what's the poll question, the NFL one for Florio? Uh, okay, we had a question. Is Mac Jones the best rookie quarterback or right place, right time is up on the site right now? Okay. I say right place, right time. I, I like Justin Fields, and I wish that they would have just made Justin Fields the guy from day one. Wait, I you like him more, more than Trevor Lawrence than any of these guys? I'm fascinated by the ceiling of Justin Fields. Okay. I really am. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. How about whose career would you want? Matt Ryan, Drew Bledsoe. Wow. This well, is Bledsoe, a, this is a Pauly special. Paulie, yeah. do you want to uh, enhance the poll question? Drew Bledsoe has 250 career touchdowns, 45,000 yards. He does have a Super Bowl ring that Tom Brady won, but Drew Bledsoe got the team to that Super Bowl game. The rest of his career, you could say, didn't live up to things. Matt Ryan's probably going to the Hall of Fame, but he is going to be known for one of the biggest losses in sports history. I think it's fair to say. I was at that AFC championship game, too. I was stunned when they went back to Tom Brady. He suffered a knee injury. Bledsoe came in, got them to the Super Bowl. It was a one-week turnaround. I was surprised by that. Paulie, do you have the career earnings? Because I think that may be the difference. Maker. I have a feeling Matt Ryan's kicking ass in that department. Uh, yeah, moving on from that one. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, can you think of a, another loss in NFL history that trumps 28-3? to 3? No, absolutely not, because it happened in the Super Bowl. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it as it was happening in the press box watching that game as the Patriots kept scoring and scoring. It's like there's no way in hell. And, you know, when Julio Jones made that circus catch on the sidelines, that felt like the, okay, yep. it, it's, it's over now. The Falcons are going to win this game. They're going to get a field goal at least on this drive. And sanity has been restored to Houston and the rest of the world. And, and that was when, you know, it all fell apart from there and the Patriots tied up. And it was so stunning that the Patriots won that game that we, we didn't make a big deal about the fact that the overtime rules continue to be flawed, that the team that wins the coin toss and scores a first drive touchdown, the other team should have a chance to match it. That wasn't even a talking point. We were so blown away by what the Patriots had accomplished. I think if the Falcons had won the Super Bowl and the Patriots didn't get the opportunity with Tom Brady, then this might have been a bigger deal. But if I'm the NFL Network, prior to tonight's game, I take the condensed version. I take it's 28 to 3, and I pick up the condensed version from there and then analyze it. Just start at 28 to 3 and analyze it in real time 
and I think that you could have a fascinating, you know, kind of pregame going into that game tonight. And the thing that I keep going back to, the, the decision to call a pass in a spot where you're in super, uh, field goal range and you get sacked, and who do you really blame that on? Do you blame it on Kyle Shanahan for calling the play? Do you blame it on Dan Quinn for not saying, whoa, 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 we're in field goal range here? And do you put some blame on Matt Ryan for not doing what maybe a Peyton Manning would have done and said, the hell with what they're telling me on the sideline. I got a Super Bowl on the line here. I'm not going to drop back and risk getting sacked here and get knocked out of field goal range. So wow. there's one hell of a blame game to be played when you get it down to that final moment after the Julio Jones catch on the sidelines where it did feel like the Falcons were going to go up 11 and it was going to be over. All they had to do, they just take three knees. And we would have remembered Julio Jones's catch as one of the great catches in Super Bowl history. Instead, you know, it's an oh, by the way. But that catch was incredible. And it would have led to the field goal that would have put this away. I mean, you just you're watching this in real time, and you're going, "What are they doing?" You know, th- there's too many geniuses in the NFL. That was the moment that Tom Brady too kind of crossed over into greatest of all time, where it became imperative to go see him play while you still could. That it was like Jordan, like you got to say that you saw this guy play. He he became something more than just a great quarterback with a bunch of rings. And look, he's still going. I would have never dreamed after that game that four years later, we'd still be talking about this career that has no apparent end in sight. Yeah. Is there another Super Bowl that compares another game in NFL history that compares to what happened to the Falcons? Well, I, I would say the Super Bowl 49, two years earlier, when we had that catch by... Uh, Jermaine Curse, that was shades of the helmet catch yeah. by David Tyree that just created that sense the pendulum had shot in favor of the Seahawks and they were going to beat the Patriots. And then that lightning bolt interception by Malcolm Butler, different way that it all ended, but, but kind of that stunning, I can't believe what I just saw outcome. I think if uh, the Bills had gone on to win the Super Bowl with the Frank Reich comeback against Houston, then that might have been one of those standalone games where, but, you know, Buffalo went on and lost an, another Super Bowl. But other than that, you know, I mean, Elway. And the would, David Tyree game too, Super Bowl 42. Let's not forget about that. I mean, that was a stunner of all stunners to hold that Patriots team yeah. to 14 points and pull off the throw, the catch, the win. That, that, that to me, I, time causes memories like that to fade, but, but that, that was, that was one where you just say, I, I, can't, I cannot believe what I just saw. And also, the play that's one of the most important plays, biggest plays in NFL history, was not the final play. It led to the touchdown to Plexico Burris. But a lot of times when we have these great moments, it's like, oh, it was an unbelievable run or unbelievable catch. You know? And the scramble by Eli, to me, is just as impressive because Mike Carey should have called in the grasp, it yes. felt like. And he got away then- with it. The touchdown, it was like, did you guys forget the cover? Plexico <laughs> no. Well, and you got Ellis Hobbs, who's uh, Ellis Hobbit, and he's out there. He's, you know, 5'10 on 6'5", Plexico Burris. And, you know, Eli sees that, and it's like, oh, ball game. And, and let's not forget this. All apologies to Asante Samuel. He had oh, an interception in his hands yeah. that would have – that would have prevented any of that stuff from happening. Yes, McLevin. Uh, what about Immaculate Reception or the other end of the Hail Mary? The uh, Viking, I think it was the Vikings lost to the Cowboys. Those are two pretty rough losses. That, those, are, those are huge. Immaculate, 
uh, with the Steelers and the Raiders? Steelers that the- didn't even get to the Super Bowl that year, though. And, and that was weird because back in those days, you didn't get home field advantage based on your record. There was a weird rotation that they did. The undefeated Dolphins <laughs> actually had to go to Pittsburgh the following week and play in Pittsburgh to get to the Super Bowl and did beat them. But th- there's this confusion over time that that yeah. was somehow a path to their Super Bowl win. It wasn't. It happened two years before the first time they ever even got to a Super Bowl. Great stuff as always. Mike, thanks for visiting, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. I mentioned that uh, Kevin James is starring in a Netflix movie, an Adam Sandler movie, and uh, it's based on Sean Payton's one-year sabbatical from the NFL. He was suspended, goes back to his hometown to uh, coach his son's Pop Warner team. Kevin James plays the role of Sean Payton. The Sean Payton, the Saints head coach, joins us on the program. Did you have any say in who was going to portray you, Coach? (laughs) I didn't. I appreciate appreciate the pitch, but this was – yeah, this was done uh, kind of uh, with Adam Sandler's group. And uh, my daughter had done a little Where Are They Now piece for NFL Network oh, a couple of years ago. And it was about that sixth grade team and um, seven or eight players and the story of that season. And I think it was condensed into maybe a five-minute hit on Network. And Adam saw it. And um, asked his brother-in-law, my, my, my daughter's boyfriend, Chris, to, uh, he said, write that movie. And that was kind of a big deal for Chris. And, you know, Adam doesn't say that all the time. And long story short, you know, here, here we are. Um, I'm sure Adam and uh, Kevin and the rest of them from Happy Madison, you know, kind of re- you know, looked at it and made their adjustments. So I've, I've kind of been a, just a, a bystander from afar. And uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be um, more of the humorous tone. And, uh, yeah, I think c- certain movies repeat themselves like that, you know, whether it's the Bad News Bears or the Mighty Giants or the <laughs> the Ducks. Or, ducks. You, you know what I mean? The, <laughs> yeah. the storyline, yeah. But, uh, but do you have we, sc- we, and, script? And yet we still like them. Do you have script approval? Oh, yeah. I, I read through it, the whole thing, yes. And basically um, there's some parts in there that, that are, are they're definitely funny and 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 part of the movie, um, and I, more importantly to me was my ex-wife Beth's thoughts and my son and my daughter, all the people around me. You know, when you get to where you're 57, you're you're not as worried about what other people think. But I wanted to make sure that my children and uh, Beth felt good about it. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting though when you when you have it based on your life. But I'm wondering in real life. What did you learn about yourself when you got suspended that year? Well, I would say there, there were two things. You know, you, you, the first month, you know, you're livid, you're angry. You, 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 I'm going to call it a sham um, and try to be kind. But you go through that like you can't believe the way it unfolded and, and what was being said or portrayed by, by the league office. And and then secondly, you're like, man, this is going to be a long year if you continue to wake up feeling like this. You know, in other words, 
And so then you go through, maybe there's three stages that, you know, the next stage is you, you begin to, all right, what are we going to do here? And um, I had recovered from an injury that happened actually in Tampa Bay on the sideline. And so I, I began working out quite a bit, ran a half marathon. Um, I mean, training like daily and then coaching this team or being, uh, I was an assistant. I wasn't the head coach. I was the offensive coordinator of this sixth grade team that had not really had any success and here's the thing, though. It's this sounds crazy, but it's it's still the same. You're teaching. There's a dynamic that you you want to communicate a subject matter, and you got to figure out what wins, and then you got to figure out how to do that to win, and then you start winning, and then the players believe, and then you win some more, and then they have confidence, and 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 it's the same with the sixth grade team as it is with an NFL team. Did you show them your resume? I mean, you didn't get the head coaching job. You only an OC, so I, pretty tough. I I didn't want listen. I didn't want to deal with the parents. Number one, we were back in Texas. <laughs> Would <laughs> so you I'm rather like, hey, deal? I'm with... not going to deal with any parents. <laughs> Would you rather deal with the media or parents? The media. <laughs> the media. I've gone honestly, and and the parents were great, but I've gone to a number of high school games because my son played high school football and I'm amazed. I'm amazed and in awe or in shock of the behavior or cluelessness that I observe in the bleachers. I, I, I it's just, and I don't know if it's the parents trying to live vicariously through their children yeah. or not maybe understanding or, or, or really failing to realize the, the bigger picture, which is just the growth of their child's education. And I'm not talking about just sports. It could be um, the band for a gal. It could be arts. It's just part of like growing up and look, there's a few that I understand that they can go on maybe and play in college. And then maybe I don't discount any of that, but just the, some of the behavior or attitudes that, that you observe or you just cringe, but no, I would choose the media every day over um, the, the parents and, uh, that was part of the deal. I, I didn't have to visit with the parents about why Johnny or Billy wasn't playing or anything like that. Saints head coach Sean Payton at the Eagles on Sunday, Thanksgiving, uh, hosting the Bills, and then you host the Cowboys. You're coming off back-to-back losses. How long does it take to put a loss to the side and move on? I would say, generally speaking, you know, there's that 24-hour, maybe a little bit longer, um, maybe a day and a half or so, uh, depending on – this this one this past weekend, um, I don't know that I'll ever get over it. You, you know, in other words, just the the way the way the game unfolded, how we wanted to play it, and then you know to have some of the things take place that took place. Um, uh, it's just it's tough. It's tough because you you dive into a week with you know your total preparation, and and I think um, man, I think we just in, in a lot of ways. Uh, it, it, we've seen it happen each weekend with the officiating, and, and it, it, that's the that's the hardest thing to get past is, you know, when when they're not up to speed, maybe or or or, or it happened to the Bears, you know, a week a week and a half ago. Yeah, and I don't know if you've watched yourself on the sidelines, the reaction in that game, but if they were thought bubbles, I'd love to know what you were thinking. I think though, look, I honestly I can recall a little bit of it. And I think in, in, you know, 
back at 10 years ago, I'd have been, I think it was, I was, I may have been thinking that, but I was, I think a little bit calmer and just, I hate getting to the point where it's expected. where like, you're numb. And, but those kind of things can happen. You know, I mean, they just, and, and, and I look at that more, uh, from an overall leadership perspective and training perspective and like that, those problems start at the top, not at the individual crews. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, somehow we got to reduce the variables, but can you talk to the league about that? Do you, do they let, let you have a voice? Um, yeah, look, I was part of the competition committee for a while. And, uh, and so it's just, it's it's something that I know uh, other head coaches and general managers, I know most in this profession uh, believe in certain things and to, to help that change. And I look, I know there's a, a number of people in our positions that believe these guys should be full-time. I mean, I, that they should be coming back Monday. In, in, in centralized locations, how are 17 crews ever going to be on the same page when um, when there's a conference call or a Zoom call? And then, you know, that but that's for that's for another day right now. But, Coach, you know, the stakes are too high, you know, with what's going on with gambling. I mean, this is big business. We know that um, the NFL yep. can afford yep. full time officials. Uh, listen, I would agree with you. But I would agree with you. Don't you want to say to the betting public, we, we, you know, we're taking this seriously. We have to. We have to improve. Yes. Like, we have to. And, and look, everyone, everyone watching and participating and, and involved in it deserves better. How close did you come to getting OBJ? Uh, um... I thought, look, we had good conversations. He's from here. I, I thought only he could answer that, but I thought uh, I felt real positive. I, you're in the middle of game week, so you're preparing for another game. And look, if he's truly interested in coming, here's our pitch. Here's what we think. Here, you know, and then at that point, you know, he can sort through that. And we had several conversations. I, I would say close. I, the question would be, I, all along, if LA had, had an opportunity, I knew that's where he was going to go. And I don't think Los Angeles really was an option until like maybe middle of the process. Um, yeah, I, I would say fairly close, but I think only he would be able to answer that. I wonder if Drew Brees was still your quarterback. Would you have? Would you have landed him? I think. I think L.A. I'm meaning that, that sometimes oh, it didn't matter. it's just an area. Okay. okay. I, I think. It, yeah, I, I believe that. Yeah, I, I was just wondering about that, that, you know, you could have him come back home and he can be the featured wide receiver. Like, I don't know what you – is this like your recruiting pitch as if you were a college coach when you're trying to get somebody? Well, I, I think in a, in, a, in a very small, like, micro – I mean, just in a very small, quick two-day process. I think this ultimately – and I can – you know, in recruiting, for instance, there are certain bullet point – things that you need to, who are the decision makers, what's most important. And I think LA was important more than I think Los Angeles was important for him. And, and, and I think that I get it. Where do you stand on the taunting rule? 
I think it's I think it's being over officiated. I, I sat in on like the, the the discussions. I think I don't think any of us that discussed it saw it where it is now. Who was asking for it, Coach? Because I didn't know that it was you know this uh, real dilemma that this is a big problem in the NFL with with. Yeah, content. look, I think here's but, but in fairness to that question. It, it's like anything else. The line's got to be eventually bright. You know, when you start having players stand over players, you know, crawl over players with their crotch, that, that there's there's got to be like, hey, if, if, if you and I watch a game and we say, just sit next to each other and turn to each other and we say taunting, that's probably a taunting foul. You with me? Yeah. And and we would see it and think, ah, oh, that's, that's too much. Like, you can't do that. Um. But I think then therein lies the challenge of communication as to, hey, this is – I'm going to show you 50 clips, and you tell me which ones you think should be called taunting. And it's no different than roughing the passer. That's, so what's the first word? And it's roughing. And, and so if I turned to you and we watched a game, I, I think we'd be able to say that's probably roughing. But I don't like the word roughing the passer because if I graze your helmet, I didn't rough you. And and I why can't I that and be so, a five-yard no, penalty? No, I like the word roughing. I like the word roughing. Why? All right. And I don't want to call anything if I graze anyone in football. Oh, okay. But they do. <laughs> All right, let's let's go all the way back to this is shoots and ladders. We're back at the very at the very beginning of the, of the discussion. I don't want you to get fined, Coach. No, I won't. I won't. <laughs> How much have you been? Well, you lost a whole salary. But except for that, how many times have you been fined by the league off? By the way, I did once. Why? Why didn't I? I never understood that. And I, I know it's not my money, but I like. Man, you gotta I would have been livid. Like you're gonna take a salary away from me the whole season? Like I'm mad on your behalf. You're you're over it, maybe. That was that was the well not ever. That was the first two months that we talked about before. Man. You know, it was the 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 anger and it was look, it was it was done, it was done. It was a way to try to circumvent really what the rules uh at that time were, and that's, it's 500,000 at that time for a league employee. But, um, Oh, that's a lot of money. How about we talk about your team? How's your team doing coach going into this game? (laughs) (laughs) I've never been able to come on the Dan Patrick show. And for a brief moment via telephone, feel like I made him like awkward or uncomfortable and I just felt like I did that so team's doing good we're banged up a little bit we go to Philly Um, (laughs) we do have this unique Thursday not Thursday night game but it's it's unusual we play Thursday night Thanksgiving and then we flip around and play again home Thursday versus the Cowboys so so we're going to see the Eagles and we're going to see the Bills and we're going to see the Cowboys um, and I don't know if that's like what three games in however many days, but uh, so I think part of his being the head coach is just being smart relative to how much time we're on our feet and how to manage the practice schedule, those type of things. What do you, what do you do against Tom Brady that other coaches don't do? Why, why are you successful against Brady? I look, I, I think this, I, number one, I think we have a good defense. 
But you know what I mean. I, I think in, in, if you have a good defense, then I think then, um, you know, that's part of it. It's a hard-fought game. We Unfortunately, we weren't in the playoff game. And I, I think there are a lot of things that go into winning. And if you're playing him and you're turning the ball over at midfield, you're going to pay. If you're playing him and you're not capitalizing, you know, like almost like there's not going to be these errors that sometimes you get when you're playing another player at that position. And certainly, the, you know, a player that, that our league's never seen at that position. So your margin for error has to be sharp. And, and I think defense, you have to have a good defense. I mean, I think that, look, if you go back and, re- and remember the Tampa game in New England and it was the return and the rebirth and holy cow. All right. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable the the, the, the media attention to that game and man, New England has got a good defense and that game was, I think down to the, you know, final score yeah. with a rookie quarterback. And so, I do think it starts with, a, you know, obviously a good defensive plan and understanding maybe some of the basic principles of how to win and not how to lose. I still think back when I think of drafts and you told us that, you know, hey, we were trading up. We were we wanted or we were going to get Mahomes. And uh, and then you, you ended up taking Lattimore, who's obviously a very good player. But just that. What is that? Well, we didn't know at the time. So I don't know if you were like crushed where you're like we got Mahomes and then you don't have Mahomes. And and what's that feeling like when I you don't get him? At that time, at the time, at the time, realistically, you have a small bubble there. We're picking eleven, and so this is, I think, what happens in a lot of draft rooms. You have, yeah, you have to have at least as many players in the bubble as there are picks, or you, or you don't have a pick. Like you, you have to like. And I knew it was Lattimore and Mahomes in this cloud, and there were three picks left before it was our pick. So you're getting to a spot where when there's two picks left and you have two in your, you, you're getting one of your guys. And so Lattimore, we didn't think was going to be available. And here, here was the, here was the, 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 the question in a nutshell, it was help your team now with the corner while you have drew or help your team long-term with, with the uh, quarterback. And we were, we were once pick nine was made, we knew we had one of the two, one of the two choices. And I don't know if pick 10 was someone else, what we would have done at 11. We were discussing, you know, back and forth about the QB in the corner. Mm. And then, so at the time when something like that happens, there are times where you're just like, uh, you had one guy, someone stepped up, took your guy, and you just, you're, you're dejected. Or, you know, I've seen that happen. But I think the, the feeling was when Andy, when the Chiefs went to 10, I knew right away it was going to be for Patrick. <laughs> and then we knew we were getting Lattimore. Yeah. So there, there, there wasn't a room of, like, dejection or it was it was kind of high fives like man we just we had no idea we thought this corner would slip and he ended up being the rookie of the year but it's funny how those things can happen you know and in after working him out in in uh in college we 
like we crept out of town. We got on the owner's plane. We didn't take let anyone see us. It was a private workout. Uh, it was it was that it was that good. I'm uh, talking about Patrick. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You just you know these draft day things. I remember the Cowboys. I thought they were going to take Johnny Manziel. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, because Jerry's going to get involved in this. I remember. Oh, yep, yep, yep. I remember. Oh, man. It's, right. Right. <laughs> well, here's the thing. The, the the funny thing about all of that. The funny thing about all of that. What was the year draft day came out? Oh, the Costner the movie. movie. Uh, Paulie Googled yeah. it. Uh, I'm going to that movie came out. 2014. All right. What, what was the Manziel draft? 2012? Has it been that long? 2012. Oh, no. It's same year. No, it's same year, Coach. 2014. Same year. That's what I thought. So, and and in the movie, in the movie, I think the Browns go with the, the scout, the Costner graded player as opposed to, and in real life, they passed on Bo life. Wallace. They put, passed on Bo Wallace, and they took uh, Mac, the linebacker. Right. And you recall they tested Bo Wallace. Yeah. They, you know, they had all these little things. If you turn to page 48 and you see this, send it back to us, and they knew he didn't look at the playbook, and they worried about his leadership. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then in real life. <laughs> <laughs> was, was Manziel Bo Wallace? Now, listen, I, I, I remember – a little bit. I, I, I wasn't a part of the Manziel draft. What was Manziel's year? It was his 12th season. I yes. Was, I remember I was coming back from suspension and look, I followed his season. It was magnificent. I spent time with Johnny, um, actually discussed and spent some time about bringing him in here for, you know, this was years ago. Um, when the Super Bowl was in Houston and, uh, and so I, I think, look, we root for guys like we root for like, all right, what's the best thing he can do and let's do those things with him and let's see him have success. We, we root for players. We we don't root against. And so, yeah. but I, I just thought there was some irony. The, the, the movie, the Cleveland Browns, <laughs> and it, it, I mean, it was, it, it was, uh, it was right at the same time. Hey, uh, it's great to talk to you as always. We appreciate when you join us, and I hope there's no sequel to this movie because that means you get suspended again. So, uh, <laughs> wait, you're not laughing. Yeah, I, 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 hope, I, I hope there's no sequel as well. <laughs> That's safe to say. <laughs> Thank you, Coach. Appreciate your time. All right, Dan. That's, hey, I appreciate uh, your friendship. See that's, you. Uh, Sean Payton, Saints head coach. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, it's Ben, host of The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller, along with my trusty sidekick, David Gascon. Would mean a lot to have you join us on our weekly auditory journey. You're asking, what in God's name is The Fifth Hour? I'll tell you, it's a spinoff of The Ben Maller Show, a cult hit overnights on FSR. Why should you listen? Picture, if you will, a world where we chat with captains of industry in media, sports, and more every week. Explore some amazing facts about human nature and more. Listen to The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast. Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. 
Let's bring in uh, Drew Bledsoe, the former NFL quarterback, uh, former number one overall pick, and uh, was the star of episode one of Man in the Arena, the uh, docuseries about Tom Brady. Did you know you were going to be the star of episode one, Drew? Well, I haven't seen it. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, uh, no, I, I didn't know until right now that I was actually the star of that show. I thought it was about, uh, Tom Brady. Yeah, but it's about you and the early days when you got the injury and Tom takes over and Tom becomes the Super Bowl, uh, winner. Uh, so you have, you, I know you lived it, but you have no interest in watching this. Well, I mean, no, I'm not going to not watch it, but, uh, you know, I'm up here. I'm, I'm up making wine in Walla Walla right now. So I don't know. We'll see that, you know, I'm, I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll come on at some point and I'll, and I'll check it out. But no, man, it's a, you know, that, uh, I'm, I'm still great friends with Tommy and so proud of what he's done. Um, but I'm pretty well versed in the story. Uh, <laughs> that's not, I, I actually, I've, I've actually seen the movie. I was in the middle of it. Uh, but, but, uh, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm proud of Tommy and, uh, you know, love everything about the kids. So I'll probably, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll watch it at some point. But I was wondering that you you made yourself vulnerable. You made yourself available for this, but you made yourself vulnerable because you talked about you guys win the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and you go home, you're on the, the mountains, mm-hmm. you're skiing, and all of a sudden it hits you and you break down. Why did it hit you then? Yeah, you know, well, I mean, you know, when you're when you're in the middle of, a, of something like that, you know, you don't, you, you know, you're, being a leader and you're, uh, um, you know, trying to do the right thing for your team and you just have to be strong, you know, you have to be strong. And so I was, I was that through the, through all of that. And then uh, once you get away from that and you no longer have the responsibility of, of, uh, you know, being a leader for the team and, and uh, wearing all of that and that all comes off and now you don't have to be that responsible party anymore. Now you can kind of let it, let it sink in a little bit. So, yeah, it was, I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, that was a, that was a, that was a long and difficult year, but then also had a happy ending. And like, it just was like this most bittersweet thing ever where your team goes on and wins the championship, but, uh, but you're not on the field. Um, you know, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was very happy for my squad and very sad for myself. But you helped win the game against the Steelers in the AFC title game. What part of you thinks you're going to start in the Super Bowl? Because I only, I think it was a week in between, or they didn't have the weekend between, did they? Did you have the game Sunday and then Super Bowl was next, the following Sunday? Yeah, the following week. It was pretty quick. And I think, uh, I think like Wednesday or Thursday of that week, uh, Belichick let me know, let me know that, uh, that he was going to start Tom in the Super Bowl, which, you know, that, that part was, uh, you know, it's like, you know, if you're starving and somebody gives you a cracker, <laughs> you, know, you haven't played all year <laughs> and, uh, now you're, now you're there and then you get to the top of the mountain you're in the biggest game that there is and finally got to play a little bit and, uh, get back on the field. And, uh, next thing you know, the, uh, the, you know, the other guys going back out there. Do you have any recollection of getting hit by Mo Lewis that day? You know, not really. I, I, um, I remember, you know, I remember kind of laying there on the sidelines and, and getting up. And then I just remember, uh, you know, I remember going back and going back in the game and, and, uh, you know, I mean, I certainly wasn't all there. I had a, con- a pretty serious concussion, I think, in, in addition to the internal stuff, but I remember turning around and asking Mark Edwards, Hey Mark, how do I, you know, I knew I had to go left. Hey, Mark, how do I go left? He goes, say odd. I'm like, oh, yeah, odd, odd. And then we ran and played left. And then he went and he, went and, uh, he and uh, Damon Heward were the ones that ratted me out that I wasn't, uh, wasn't all there because I went to Damon to go over our two-minute plays. And our two-minute plays have been the same for 
years, you know, it would, uh, it would be, you know, like you coming into your show and asking, hey, which chair do I sit in? Uh, it's, it's kind of that kind of um, that kind of a simplistic thing. And so they, that's when they went and said, hey, he's not uh, he's not all there. And that's when they uh, that's when they put Tommy in. And then uh, after the game, I tried to go home. And thankfully, the doctor didn't let me do that. But you had I mean, if they let you go home. Yeah, if they let me go home, I would have died. I, I was bleeding out at about a liter an hour internally. And uh, by the time they got me to the hospital, I was I was out, and they took a lot of blood out of my body. Thankfully, they uh, they were able to recycle my blood and put it back in, so they didn't have to uh, open my chest up. Um, but it was uh, it was touch and go there for a while. You're pretty nonchalant about this. No, well, you know I lived. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know whatever 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 doesn't whatever doesn't kill you, right? And, uh, uh, um, no, I didn't. I mean, I didn't know how serious it, was, serious it was until two or three days after. So I wasn't really aware that there was that it was really bad until a few days later. Ever talked to Mo Lewis? You know, I never have. He's never sent me flowers. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, how about this? How about this? A Mo Lewis wine called Internal Bleeding. Oh, God. yeah. Well, I don't know. I just I, I is think it I, too soon? I, yeah, internal red. How about internal, internal red? red? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, that, <laughs> that, actually would be pretty, be, that would be interesting. That'd be interesting. What would you say if, if you saw Mo Lewis at one of these NFL functions? I'd give him a hug. I don't, I don't, I don't have any animosity toward him whatsoever. You know, and you, uh, you know, you open this segment talking about the roughing the passer stuff. Well, back that, that, that hit was not penalized and it wasn't illegal. You know, that was just the way that the game was played. I was, you know, I was heading toward out of bounds, but I wasn't out of bounds. He hit me. It was, a, it was a hard hit, but it was uh, in that day and age was a clean hit today. It would have been a, a targeting call and he would have been fined $50,000 and, and, um, and all of that. But uh, you know, they've changed the game with, with the intent of trying to, you know, trying to keep quarterbacks in the field. Now they've obviously gone way overboard. I mean, you know, you run by a quarterback and look at him the wrong way and you hurt his feelings. It's 15 yards. Um, um, but, um, but your quarterbacks you know, want this drew. Because Brady said this is the reason why he's able to play at 44. But do you want it as a quarterback? You know, I, I think as a fan and, you know, as, and as a quarterback, I understand the, the desire and the need to protect these star players because, you, you know, you want them on the field. Uh, but they've just they've gone too far with it. You know, I mean, you know, the um, and I think that, the, the you know, the hard part is, I think, for defenders, you know, they, they have to come in and they have to be thinking about, you know, not, you know, because I mean, they're going as hard as they can against the strongest dudes on the planet trying to get there. And all of a sudden they get there. And now when they get there now, they have to stop and pull off. And, and it's uh, so, yes, they've gone too far with it. I understand the the intent of what they're doing, but they've gone too far with it, in my opinion. And and um, have just made it almost impossible to uh, to play defense in a lot of in a lot of ways. He's Drew Bledsoe, former NFL quarterback, former number one overall pick. Uh, and I know you didn't come on to talk about your wine, but let people know about your uh, wine that you've been. Oh yeah. Thanks man. No, we, we're out here making, uh, making wine in my hometown of Walla Walla. Um, got a kick-ass team that is, um, you know, doing everything. We own our own vineyards and make the wine and deliver it. And we're, you know, I think they're making some of the very best wine in the world for us. So it's been a lot of fun. It's called Doubleback. If you want to find it, doubleback.com. Okay. If I want to sound like I know about wine, Mm -hmm. Give me some terminology here. 
Yeah. And, um, so you want some really wine geeky stuff. If okay. you have a wine and you like it and then it's like, you know, you can just say, you know, this is a complete wine. This is, um, mm. this has got great balance, nice structure, nice tannin, good fruit, you know, and uh, you can just say it's a complete wine and the wine geeks will leave you alone. Cause then you'll sound like you really know what you're talking about. <laughs> Complex. Complex, complete. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Are you better at wine or quarterbacking? Oh man, you know, it's, they're, they're very similar in a lot of ways in that, you know, I was playing quarterback at a bunch of badass dudes that did the really hard work in front of me and fast guys <laughs> that would go get open. And then I got to take all the credit, right. You know, and, and, um, and it's the same in this, I, you know, I, I direct a team that, uh, that just kicks ass and makes me look good. Is Mac Jones good or just in a good situation? Both. Both, you know, he's he's um, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. He's accurate, uh, working within the framework of a good offense. Um, but uh, you know, that's the deal. I mean, in the in the in the NFL, um, you know, you need all of it in order to win. Uh, and he's playing very well, uh, but he's also in a in a good system and in a on a on a team that looks like they're rising at the right time. But knowing Belichick, what do you think he says to Mac Jones? daily basis or on game day she's i don't know not very much you know i mean he he, he trusts his he trusts his uh his staff to to work with him um you know he's far from verbose when it comes to coaching up the quarterbacks but um but you know mac is a guy that sounds like and they they, they do their research they know what they're drafting and they you know, he's a guy that's working really hard, smart guy, doing all of the doing all the little things he has to do during the week. And then on game day, you know, you start as a quarterback, you always have to start with don't make a mistake first. Don't hurt your team. Uh, and he's doing that, which is which is uh, the most important part of the job. Uh, but then beyond that, he's throwing the ball accurately, getting it out of his hands. He's really doing a nice job. But So Belichick really is not involved in quarterbacks. You know, at least he wasn't uh, for the couple of years that I was there. He, you know, I mean, you know, we'd meet with him and he knows what's going on. And, and uh, I know Tommy, you know, met with him quite a bit over the years, just like early in, early in weeks. Um, you know, and there'll be little things here and there, but, but uh, you know, he really lets, uh, you know, Josh McDaniels um, handle that side of the world for him. And, and uh, so, yeah, I don't think he's probably not telling him the whole time. Yeah. I was wondering about that because if you're Brady and then you want out of there, like, can you have fun in there? Like what, what constitutes having fun that maybe Tom was missing in new England? <laughs> no, I don't know. Well, I mean, he stayed for 20 years. I mean, come on, let's, you know, I mean, it had, can't have been that miserable, um, but he was you know, winning and winning and they were, and they were winning and winning kind of cures everything. Winning's always fun. Uh, but, uh, I remember Tommy did tell me a story a few years ago. I think they, it was like, they'd been together 17 years, something like that. And then he was like, Hey, is Bill, is he kind of lightened up over the years? And he goes, man, you know, there are times when, like, he'll walk by me in the hallway and not say hi. After 17 years, the most successful run of a quarterback and, and coach ever. And, you know, like, you know, yeah, he's still kind of the same guy. He's just very focused, very business. But he, uh, but no, you can have fun. I mean, come on, it's football. They had a lot of fun. Um, and Bill, actually, you know, he can lighten up and have fun. When yeah, he, everybody you know, says that chooses to i saw him at a wine deal one time um uh, right after we had started and he came over and brought bears his assistant they came over and they're there you know sipping on some wine he was laughing he was joy and i was like man who who is this <laughs> imposter and what have they done with belichick because that's not the guy i played for but he uh you know he gets uh you get him outside of a football setting and he actually uh he actually can lighten up and have some fun by the way drew has a uh, a cab that just got 95 points i think your cab got 95 right 
Yeah, I don't know. Those, well, those wine critics. Oh, wine, here we go. Wine critics, wine critics, and sports writers—they're all the same. Come on, no, Put you. Them in a bag and beat them with a stick. <laughs> I, I always put it this way: they've, they've been they've been really they've been really good to us. The critics have been, but I always feel like we deserve more. But um, but uh, no, they, they, the critics have been good to us, um, and uh, the wine sells fast. But I just always feel like our team has done such a killer job that they need more than ninety-five points. But you don't want ninety-five as a quarterback rating, do you? Um, well, I you know there were some times when I would have taken it, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, particularly in Buffalo when it's pissing down rain and blowing sideways, so, you know, if I could complete two or three passes, I felt like I was doing pretty good. What made you want to go to Buffalo? Well, it wasn't my choice. They traded me to Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, but could you and- have said, I don't want to go to Buffalo? Uh, I could I could have played you know hardball and just okay. said I was going to retire or whatever um, and done that. But you know I think the reaction though it's like everybody that goes to Buffalo I think has a similar reaction because nobody chooses that right. You know like oh I don't want to be exiled to Western New York and play in the rain and all that. But then once you're there as a player it's it's awesome. I mean I I loved playing there. I think most guys that end up going there end up really loving playing there. The fans are fantastic. Um, the weather is atrocious. Um, but it's, it's really a cool place to play ball. It's like playing pro ball in a college town, you know? And, uh, you know, I'd, so it's kind of funny cause I, you know, I don't know how many people ever choose to choose Buffalo as a free agent, but, um, but once you get there, it's pretty awesome. Great to talk to you. Uh, are you featured in any more of these episodes or are you one and done with uh, Tom Brady? I truly have no idea, Dan. I really don't. I, my, my, my guess is probably just the one cause then they, they move on and, uh, but, um, um, but I don't know. I'll have to go check it out. Was Brady a better beer chugger than you? He actually was pretty fast. I, I, you know, I never, I was never very fast drinking beer. It was, you know, it was, it was more of a, a slow volume game, but, uh, yeah, Brady, <laughs> he, could, uh, he, could, he could back in the day, he could, he could, uh, he could, he could shotgun a beer pretty fast. Ross Tucker talks about Brady as an old timer. Yeah, no, he was, he was, he was, he was pretty good at that. Now, I mean, you know, now he doesn't even drink at all. I think he has a little bit of red wine in the off season. He actually did. I, you know, we couldn't ship wine to Massachusetts for a long time. And so I sent his first shipment of wine. I sent it to his dad in California and his dad drank it all. all. <laughs> uh, but I think he, but I think he will have a glass of wine every now and then, um, you know, maybe in the off season, but uh, I don't know. I wonder when the last time was that he actually had a beer. I, I really have no idea. Well, might have been on the boat. Yeah, it sounds like he had a lot of something when he was on the boat. <laughs> but I, I don't know if that was beer. Yeah, sounds like it was tequila. Uh, hey, great to talk to you again, as always. And uh, good luck with the cab. And uh, thanks for joining us. You got it, buddy. I'll come see you next time I'm in uh, Connecticut. Yeah, stop by. Stop by for a meet Friday. Okay, we will do. And bring wine. we Will do. Okay, do thank you, bud. Right. That's uh, Drew Bledsoe, the former NFL quarterback. 